as you're being seated, will you also bow with me? Father, we're grateful for the fact that we have your word. Secondly, for the fact that we can even read it. Some people have one or the other or neither in this world. And so, Father, we are grateful that you have smiled upon us. And I pray, of course, that we would take full advantage of the living word that we have at our disposal. Lord, all 66 books, we have your word in its totality. Thank you. And Father, I pray that you would please help us, Lord. Help us to have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we may be filled, as Jesus said. And Lord, help us also to have a desire to walk in the truth. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. Help us today as we learn more, as we walk through the book of Judges. And Lord, give us what we need to be those people that are pleasing to you, that advance your kingdom and who are godly in our personal lives as well. Be pleased to use this sermon this morning to not only save sinners, but to also build up your saints. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, welcome to Worship at Christ Fellowship this morning. Um, I will say that I just found out that the air is not working in here anymore. And so, this is what I want you to do. If it gets uncomfortable, pretend you're missionaries. Pretend you're missionaries in a building that never had air conditioning anyway, and I promise you it'll help you. Because I'm telling you right now, it's way more comfortable in here than in the churches that we attended when we were missionaries. I think I've told you the story before. There were so many bugs all the time in the churches that we went to because we were meeting most of the time even in the middle of the jungle in the thatched roof church building. So many bugs all the time. You were always looking out for bugs. And I remember one time thinking, oh no, a bug has gotten in my shirt because I feel something crawling down my chest. And I was like, oh no, that's just sweat. <laughs> so this is still way more comfortable than some of the churches that we had the pleasure of attending. So pretend you're a missionary. All right. We're continuing through the book of Judges. And as you know, I love preaching from the Old Testament. And I think it's because... It feels like I'm giving people a, a rich feast from a table that they rarely eat at. Um, but those of us who visit that table often, we know how pleasant and how vital that food is to giving you the, uh, the sustenance that you need as you continue to walk through the Bible. Then when you get to the New Testament, you are so well fed from the table of the Old Testament that the New Testament becomes even more delicious. And uh, that's why I especially love exposing people to uh, the many parts of the Old Testament that maybe you're less familiar with or that you're not familiar with at all because it is like eating fresh manna that you've never had before. And so... Now, there's something very special to discovering truth for the first time, isn't there? Especially when it's from God's word, because ultimately all truth is God's truth. So, I've titled this sermon this morning, The Forgotten Warrior. The Forgotten Warrior. We're going to learn about this forgotten gentleman from the book of Judges, and it's just one verse this morning. I told Amy at the beginning of this week, I said, I've got to come up with a whole sermon from one verse. 
We're just given one verse on this man, and, and here's our one verse, Judges 3.31. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Judges 3.31, it'll also be on the screen behind me. Let's, let's hear about this forgotten warrior. Who is he? It says, After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also served Israel. That's our, just, that's our next portion in the book of Judges. If you have your Bible open and you've got one of the more modern translations, you'll see that it gives sections, uh, like a title, a title to the section, and which was not originally there in the original text. And you might see, as, as mine says, for this one verse, right above this one verse, it just says Shamgar, just gives his name. And then we go right on after that to Deborah and Barak, as we're going to see next week. But we have this one verse highlighting Shamgar and what he did to save Israel. Just one verse. The only other mention of Shamgar in the entire Bible comes just two chapters later in this book where Deborah mentions him just almost in in passing. And she mentions him from uh, the section of chapter 5 that's called Deborah's Song because it's written like a, a poem that you could sing But we at least learn from there, chapter 5, verse 6, that Shamgar was a contemporary of Deborah. Children, if you don't know what that means, it basically just means they they lived at the same time and they knew of each other. We also know from Deborah's song there in chapter 5, where Shamgar is mentioned, we know that there was unrest during the days of Shamgar, specifically because it mentions, it says, in the days of Shamgar, the highways were abandoned, and travelers kept to the byways. What, is, what, is, <laughs> what does that mean? It means that regular travel was so unsafe during those days due to the foreign oppression that people did not use the common and larger, more well-traveled routes. It was just dangerous. And also, because of the foreign oppression and the unrest that that caused, Thieves were more present, so you just did not travel on the main roads. And since we only get one verse about Shamgar, and then only one other mention of him elsewhere, is there anything else that we can learn about him besides what we just see in the text there? Well, I learned this in my studies. Shamgar was a, is a Hurian name, H-U-R-R-I-A-N. What's, what's a Hurian? The Hurian, they were a people group. They were non-Jewish. Non-Jewish, these were Gentiles from northern Mesopotamia and Syria. So here's Israel. Mesopotamia and Syria are northeast, about 100 miles away. So it's possible that this man wasn't even a Jew. Possibly a Hurian. And... Uh, usually in the Bible, when someone's name is mentioned and it says the name and then son of blank, whoever it is, it's usually a person like James and John, the sons of Zebedee, right? Or David, son of Jesse. Usually the name that's there is, of course, just the, the father. But here, it might be something different because he's called Shamgar, Son of Anath. Son of Anath. Well, 
Anath, you see, is actually the name of a Canaanite goddess. She was, in fact, the Canaanite goddess of war. The author could be telling us, by calling him this, that it's possible that he was a warrior. Again, we just don't know. Why so much speculation here? Well, but guys, because I'm only given one verse, okay? <laughs> I only have one verse to draw from here. So it's possible that he's a non-Jew, he's a Gentile, and it's possible that he was a mightier warrior, which would actually make sense because look what, he, look what he did. We're told one thing, really, that he's done in his entire life, and it's pretty spectacular, right? It's pretty spectacular, after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. We don't know if the 600 Philistines were defeated in one battle or if this is a cumulative total of all that were killed throughout multiple battles of a Philistine oppression. We don't know. However, this is still quite the feet. But we do know that his success in battle led to the saving of Israel. We do know that because it says it right there. And he also saved Israel. That's one thing we know for sure about Samgar. He delivered Israel from her oppressors, which makes reference to the first of the Philistine invasions during the times of the judges. Uh, without realizing it, probably, without even realizing it, you are aware of the second of the Philistine invasions of the people of Israel during the time of the judges. Remember in Samson's portion of the book of Judges, who were the enemies of God at that time? And you're thinking, oh yeah, it was the Philistines. Remember the, the foxes and he burned the field and remember he pushed the things down and then killed all these Philistines. You say, oh yes, I remember that. Well, that was the second big invasion of the Philistines as the enemies of God. And doesn't Shamgar's victory even kind of foreshadow Samson's in some ways? Here we have Shamgar killing 600 Philistines with an ox goad. And you might recall that Samson killed 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. So Shamgar used what he had and he did what he could with the Lord's help. So those things were the little that we could know about this man that the text doesn't tell us exactly. Now let's look at our verse to see what feast awaits us from what we actually do find in the text. Since it said he also saved Israel, uh, the also there indicates something. It indicates that he is like the others that were mentioned before him which others were mentioned right before him. Two others were mentioned, Othniel and Ehud. As you remember from last week, we learned about Ehud. Now, we know from their accounts that the Lord was the one who raised them up and that the Lord was the one who was with them to give them the success. The text makes that clear. And that the Lord used these men to accomplish his purposes. It was all the Lord's doing. We even saw last week how Ehud was careful to make sure that the people knew that it was the Lord who was fighting for them. 
Ehud was very careful not to take any of God's glory for himself. And I admire that. So we know that it was God's doing to now raise up this gentleman. Let's, re- let's remember, <laughs> let's not forget why these men had to even be raised up in the first place. Remember the book we're in. Judges is not a happy book. It's not. It's just kind of like when you hear the word or the words, the Great Depression. Nobody hears that and thinks about our American history and thinks, oh, I get happy feelings when I hear about the Great Depression. No. We hear the Great Depression and we say, oh, that was bad. My grandparents have told me about that. For some of you, my great-grandparents, or for some of you, my parents told me about the Depression, how hard it was. Well, when you hear the word Judges, or the book of Judges, it should do the same thing. You should think, ooh, that was a a hard time for the people of Israel. That That was a bad time. But why was it a bad time? It wasn't a bad time because the economy collapsing forced a bad time upon the people. No. It was the people's sin, their own sin, their own willful disobedience against the revealed will of God that led them to it. So what led these men to be raised up in the first place was their own sin. In the accounts of Othniel and Ehud, it was because the people were told, it says, they again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They abandoned the one true God and went after the false gods of the nations around them, the Baals, the Asherahs. This always led to the people of Israel being given over to hardship. They always led the people of Israel being given over to suffering. This was a part of their punishment. This was a part of their discipline because sin's wages, sin's wages always pay you with pain and with death. That's the wages of sin. For these people, Psalm 16.4 rings true. Listen to Psalm 16.4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. It's exactly what's happening here once again why they need to be saved in the first place. And Shamgar saved Israel, but the fact that Israel needed to be saved from her enemies at all means Israel had once again rebelled against God. The text, of course, doesn't tell us. We just get this little one verse about one of his exploits. But we know if he's there having to save Israel from her oppressors, then we started the sin cycle again. We're back in the sin cycle that we talked about in the past two Messages. Shamgar was chosen to save them this time. But here we find a man with limited resources, kind of like we found with Ehud. Ehud was limited, but not in his resources. He had a sword. He was more than likely, it seems, uh, limited physically. Shamgar was limited to only having a tool as his weapon and not a weapon as his weapon. We learn from a future account of a a future invasion again of the Philistines upon the people of Israel. We learn that when the Philistines will be a thorn in Israel's side once again, 
we see, now this time it's during the time of the kings, which hasn't happened yet in our history in the Bible. But we learn from 1 Samuel 13 how the Philistines oppressed the people of Israel. One of the things they did to oppress the people of Israel. Look at this, 1 Samuel 13, verses 19 through 20. Now, there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords and spears. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, or his sickle. This happens, you can read other accounts in history where this has happened to people. The oppressors invade the land. They take all the weapons away so that the people cannot rise up against them. And so, more than likely, the Philistines probably hadn't changed their tactics much between judges and what's going to happen a few decades down the road during the time of the kings. More than likely, this is what's going on again. And it wasn't as though Shamgar had some love for an ox goad and refused to use a sword. It's not as though he had all these weapons at his disposal and he's like, no, I'll just, I'll just use an ox goad. No big deal. I'm, I'm a versatile man. No, it's a sign of the limitation that the, the, the followers of God were experiencing due to the Philistine oppression an oppression that made traveling the roads unsafe, Deborah tells us. An oppression that would have again caused the people to, to cry out to their God. And though it's likely that Shamgar wasn't born a Jew, he followed the one true God. Somehow heard about this one true God, became a what we call a proselyte, started following, though he was a Gentile, started following the ways of the Jews. And then God called him. He must have been walking closely enough with the Lord that he could respond to a call of God. He could hear, sense, feel God calling and speaking to him. God chose him and used him to deliver his own people. And God called and Shamgar answered him. Now, when called, did Shamgar focus on his limitations? It doesn't seem so. It doesn't seem as though he focused on what he didn't have. Had Shamgar said something like this, had Shamgar said, I don't have a sword like they do, God, therefore, I'm not your man. Had that been the case, Shamgar would not have been used by God. Wouldn't have been called, probably, even in the first place. Maybe called. Uh, we see other men that get called by God and throw out all these excuses as to why they're not the one, like Moses did. But had he refused, had he said, you know, I don't have what I need, uh, he would not have been useful to God or used by God. And had Shamgar said, you know, I don't have chariots like they do, God, therefore I can't succeed. He again would not have been useful to God or used by God. When it comes to following God, church, those who only consider what they don't have will never fully see God's hand in their life. But those who consider who they have will see God's hand in their lives. 
It's not about what you have when it comes to obedience. It's about who you have. Following God is about who you have and not what you have. Look at who you have and what he's already given you and walk out in obedience and you'll see God work in your life. Really. I think sometimes because the culture, because we see in the culture that this certain type of ministry needs to work this way in order for it to be successful. Sometimes if and when we feel God calling us to do something, we think, well, you know what? If I do it, it won't be able to look like that. So I'm not your man or I'm not your, I'm not your woman. I'm not, not for this job, Lord. I feel you calling me to do that. But I don't have this and I don't have this and I don't have this. So instead of, instead of, just obeying, saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to walk out in obedience. I'm going to trust that you're going to, to help me. We give him all the reasons why we can't obey. And that's to our folly. If God's calling you to do it, he's given you what you need to do it. And if you don't at that moment have what you need to do it, then he's calling you to trust him to give you what you need as you do it. Because in the American culture, really, this, this, this does hurt us because we want to make things look kind of like, oh, flashy and cool and really professional. And the early apostles were anything but flashy and cool and professional. Were they? They weren't. They obeyed God by preaching on the corner and then getting beat, getting thrown in prison, and then getting out of prison, and then going under the corner and preaching again and getting beat again. And they kept doing that until they killed them. And that's not flashy and professional, but I think it's very cool. So let's talk about this tool then, this ox goad. What even is an ox goad? Well, an ox goad was a tool that you would use to goad an ox. <laughs> Here's an example of one type. As you can see, they can be very long. They can even be six to eight feet long. It's what you would use as you were plowing to poke the ox and to make the ox go forward. Sometimes they even had a, a metal portion on the end that was hooked so that you could then use that part of it to clean the dirt clumps off the plow while you were plowing so you could keep plowing. And so it would sometimes have a sharpened end. Sometimes both ends were sharpened so you could use them to poke the ox to make the ox keep moving. And sometimes the other end would have this piece of metal that was curved to use as a tool. It's a tool for someone in agriculture. However, in the hands of the right man, it was a formidable weapon because it could be used as a spear and as a lot of other things. But you know what it's not? You know when an ox goat isn't? It's not a sword, which would have been much more useful and effective and you know what it's also not? It's also not a shield, which would have provided much more protection. 
You know what it's also not? It's not a bow and arrow which could have allowed him to get the job done from a safe distance. It's just none of those things. It's definitely not an iron chariot which would have been very intimidating but also very devastating when used rightly. It was none of those things. Yet it was what Shamgar had. So when he was called... He used what he had, and he did what he could as he was following his God. And I made those points for you on an image here. When he was called, he used what he had, and he did what he could as he followed his God. Listen, church, Christian, is God calling you to walk out in obedience in a certain area, a certain area that's clear in Scripture. I'm not talking about something that you're like, I don't know if this is God's will or not. I'm talking about something clear in God's will, maybe even something that he is putting on your heart, but it's very clear that this is of God, okay? Is he calling you to do something? If so, use what you've got and do what you can as you follow him. I'm going to use... The Harrisons, as an example for a moment, just because this is fresh on my mind, just because I heard about this just a few days ago, the, the Harrisons, as you see, they have a lot of children of their own. And as you see, those children attract other children, as you see, right? Well, in their neighborhood, their house has become the neighborhood child hangout house. And so they've said, well, why don't we have a Bible club, because we've already got all the kids here. And so, instead of thinking, well, we need a bounce house, and we need clowns, and obviously we need face paint, and we've got to have somebody throw the pie in their face at the end of the week, because they, you know, surely we've got to raise money for something, and then we've got to have somebody to shave his head at the end of the week, right? Because if we raise enough money, we get to shave the person's head. No. She looked around at church, and she said, Here's a curriculum sitting here that no one's using. Can I use it to teach the children for the Bible club that we're going to have? And I said, absolutely. And guess what? They're going to start the Bible club. I'm like, praise Jesus for that. Somebody who said, I feel led to do this. Let me look around and see what I've got. Perfect. Let's get started. And I thought, praise Jesus. You know, praise Jesus for that. It can be that simple. And sometimes it needs to be that simple. And I'm so thankful for that. Those are things that I'm talking about. Something like that. It's not going to be a backyard Bible club for everybody. I get that. But something in your life, God's calling you to do it. And you might be saying, well, you know, if I had more money, sure, God, I would do that. Well, you know, if I had this type of job that would allow for this type of thing, then, God, I would definitely do that. But I'm sorry, until I have that, I don't see how it can work. And he's not asking you to think about how it's going to work. He's asking you to obey him. I mean, do you think Shamgar looked at that ox goat and said, yeah, I could probably kill about 600 with this. Probably wasn't thinking that. Just walked in obedience. And by the time it was all over, he said, good night. 600. (laughs) Wow. Way to go, God. There's a missionary, Hudson Taylor, that said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Now, that was in the context of mission work, which is also an act of obedience and daily faith. Yet, that 
statement holds true to what we're discussing as well because I'm also talking about first steps in obedience as God's called you to something. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Had Shamgar only looked at the one hymn and the 600 Philistines, and had he only looked at the single tool that he had for driving ox and the 600 swords, um, he might not have stepped out in obedience had he only considered those things. But you see, he factored something else into his equation that stacked the odds solely in his favor. He looked at God. Obedience is ultimately about believing God. That's only six words, but those are very big words. Obedience is ultimately about believing God. Isn't it? Follow God, use what you have, and do what you can. But what I'm ultimately trying to say to all of you is that if you have God, then you have all that you need, not only to succeed in anything that he's called you to do in his service, but you've got all that you need for life and godliness and even death. How? What do I mean by that? Well, there's something about Shamgar that points to a better Savior of God's people. We're told that Shamgar did what he did and also saved Israel. He's also a, a bit of a forgotten warrior, this next person that I'm going to talk about, who Shamgar's actions point to. He, too, often gets hidden among many other things in this world, and he's the real feast. He's the real manna from heaven. He's the real Savior, not just from 600 physical enemies of God, but from the countless sins that are damning our souls to hell. He's the real Savior from your real enemies, which are sin and Satan and self. The God-man, Jesus Christ, of course, is the one who I'm speaking about. He's the true and real and living Savior of the real Israel, which are all God's people. The Apostle Paul makes clear in Romans, he says, not all who are of Israel are Israel, meaning not all those who are Jews according to the flesh are Jews according to the Spirit, because it's the Jews according to the Spirit who are the true Jews. If you're in here today, in Christ, you're a true Jew. Why? Because you're the true chosen of God. The people of Israel, physically, were the chosen people of God of anybody else on planet Earth. He chose them. He chose Abraham and said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And from him came Isaac, from him came Jacob, from Jacob came the 12 tribes who became the people of Israel. From one of those tribes came the line of Judah, who was the savior of the world, the God-man. And we who follow him, we are people, the ones who truly believe God at his word and walk by faith in what it says. We are God's people. And it says about this man, this savior, this real savior of our enemies, in Luke 2.11, 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. It also says in John 4, 42, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard with ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. It says in Acts 5, 31, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. It says also in Philippians 3, 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, from whom we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, it says in 1 John 4, 14, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. You see, Shamgar, a warrior with limited tools, followed God and used what he had and did what he could and saved Israel. And he points us to the Savior, Jesus Christ, who, did, who defeated the enemy by doing what he could and perfectly walking in obedience to the Father for no other man has ever kept the law of God perfectly. No other man is like the God-man, Jesus Christ, who not only died as a man in our place, but absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf and was raised from the dead as the powerful Son of God and let me end with this. So, yes, thank you, Shamgar, for walking in obedience to save Israel even though you had limited resources and acted alone with no help except from God. And what a warrior, what a warrior this forgotten warrior is who's just hidden in one verse in the pages of Judges, and thank you, Shamgar, for following the one true God, even though you were not born a Jew. And thank you, Shamgar, for pointing us to the best warrior who was a Jew, but came to save any and all sinners who will turn away from their sins and Satan and self and believe God at his word and see the real Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these hidden gems that you give us in the Word of God. Lord, thank you for this example of a man not born into the chosen people of God, but used mightily by you nonetheless because he believed you at your Word and you used him, though he was limited in what he had in his hands. He was limitless in what he had in you, Lord God. And thank you that he focused on who he had and not what he had. And Lord, I pray that you would do that for us too. Help us to focus more about who we have instead of what we have, especially when it comes to walking in obedience to you. Help us to walk in trust and belief, a strong belief in your word about what you say about yourself and block out the voices of doubt even when it's our own voice. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.